0: You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note, the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening.
1: Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of Where Your Treasure Is. I'm Bex Elder and I'll be your master of ceremonies for today's intriguing topic of negative money.
0: And I, Simon Glazier, am your in-house financial expert answering those awkward questions that Bex throws into the mix.
1: That's what I'm here for. So I'm going to get straight in with an awkward question and say, Simon, why have you chosen to call this episode negative money? I'm guessing you're talking about debt. And so why not just call it that?
0: Right, Bex, you and I know money is a very emotive topic. It's not one that people feel free to talk about openly, and yet it's something that weighs on most people's minds an awful lot. Within the whole subject of money, debt is probably the most avoided topic, the most disliked word, and yet almost everybody in the UK is dealing with or has dealt with negative money or debt. So I'm just trying to make it easier for people to engage in a topic that is really relevant from both a financial and also a a spiritual perspective.
1: Okay, so if you're saying most people in UK have or have at some point had debt, are you saying that lots of people are in debt? Or are you saying this concept of negative money is more than just being in debt? So things that are coming to mind for me are overdrafts, car loans, credit cards, mortgages. Are these all under the category of negative money?
0: Yeah, all of those are, as well as things like uh, student loans higher purchase arrangements, uh, buy now, pay later, or even mobile phone contracts. There are, in fact, so many different ways in which our modern society uses negative money, not always called debt, you don't often see it as debt, that we need to get a really good handle of it to ensure that we are being good stewards of what God has given to us.
1: Already I can see there are many things in my life that could be classed as negative money. And so this is a topic we're going to have to spend a lot of time on and we'll likely do a whole future season on it. And so we're really just going to scratch the surface today. And you mentioned that this topic is important from a spiritual perspective as well as a financial one. So could you share some of your understanding of the biblical approach to borrowing money and being in debt? And then we can look at some of the more specifically financial issues around that.
0: Yeah, of course. Have you ever heard this phrase, Bex? Neither a borrower nor a lender be.
1: Yeah, it rings a bell.
0: Okay. So for many people, and actually for a long time for me as well, this quote is the starting point of maybe a philosophical debate about debt. You know, should you be in debt or not? Neither a borrower nor a lender be. But this isn't a biblical quote. It's actually, it's from Shakespeare. It's from Hamlet. So, I mean, the full quote goes like this. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. Very poetic.
1: So it sounds, if I've got my Shakespeare right, that when you lend money to a friend, you could end up losing both your money and your friendship, which seems like a pretty bad deal. And then the second part about borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. Is that suggesting that people who borrow money become more reckless with how they then manage money?
0: I reckon so. I mean, I'm not the the English expert. Maybe we could find one. That word husbandry to me almost feels like the stewardship Mm. that we recognize our relationship with God. If we're good stewards of money and we don't want to be dulled in our quality of stewardship or quality of husbandry, so I think that's the gist of it. Yeah, if we, if we borrow money, we become more reckless with how we're managing God's money, God's resources that he's given us. Let me give you another quote just to kind of wrap things up before we get stuck into the proper biblical wisdom. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Isn't that a classic way of the world?
1: It so is. And it's so easy to fall well into that trap.
0: I mean, there's some godly wisdom in the words of Shakespeare and others, but what does God himself actually say about this? Now, if we go to the Bible, there's not a massive amount in the Bible about debt. And one of the things that isn't there, nowhere does it say that debt is inherently bad. It doesn't say debt is wrong, but there are warnings against debt. So let me pull out a few for you, Becks. In the Old Testament, being in debt was considered to be a curse, Whereas being debt free was a blessing. Um, I'll put some various key references in the show notes, but Deuteronomy 15 is a classic. It, it talks about the cancellation of debts every seven years. If another Israelite had lent money to you after seven years, or actually in a sequence of every seven years, they would cancel those debts. If you were so poor, you'd sold yourself into slavery to a fellow Hebrew in the seventh year, you would be released, or at least. That was what god asked them to do in proverbs 7 debt is likened to slavery actually it says this the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender now that language of slavery is not very comfortable to our modern ears and yet it isn't that far from the truth when you have debt somebody else has a call on your money you're not then free to do with it what you want. And more importantly, you're not free to do with it what God wants. I think that's why uh, in Romans 13, so into the New Testament now, in Romans 13, 8, Paul says this, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, there are other verses. If I could summarize my understanding of the biblical teaching on debt, it would be like this: three points. Point one: try to avoid getting into debt. So don't borrow money to buy things that you don't need. And we'll come back to this issue of need later on. Point number two: if you are in debt, then try to get out of debt as soon as possible. And, and three, if you are able to repay your debt or to make a payment on your debt, then do so. Don't withhold payment deliberately those three key biblical principles
1: Those principles are such a helpful starting point and I suppose when you were talking us through that section, two things came to mind for me. The first is that we are called to love our neighbor and really to act with integrity. and so that sounds like it really ties into that principle of paying off debt as soon as we possibly can loving our neighbor whether it's a person or a company. And then secondly, that point about Romans 13, 8, it reminded me of the freedom we have in Jesus. And that also applies to our financial freedom. And the more financial freedom we have, the freer we are to spend our money to advance the kingdom. But to be honest, when I think about the many different types of negative money that we've already mentioned, I can't think of many people who have got through life without using some form of debt. And so if we take the view that the Bible is generally against debt, how should we as Christians in a modern society that's really saturated in debt try and live out those biblical principles? Is all debt that bad? Is it wrong for me to take out a student loan or have an overdraft or take out a car loan or to buy a house with a mortgage?
0: So many great questions. Let's see if we can start to navigate modern forms of negative money from that foundation of those biblical principles. I'm gonna try and pose a question which I think will help us get to the core of each kind of debt, the core issue for each of these. And the question would go a bit like this. Does God want me to borrow this money? Does God want me to borrow this money? So Bex, with that question in mind, where do you want me to start?
1: mortgages seems like a really great place to start because I think this is the single biggest debt that most people consider in their lifetime. So I guess the question would then be, does God want us to borrow money to buy a house? And when I pose the question that way, I feel that we have jumped straight into the issue of how we seek God's guidance for all sorts of decisions in life. We surely can't just give a generic answer to that question for every listener.
0: of course you're right we can't say here and now what god is saying specifically to each and every person listening to this podcast now and in the future whatever their circumstances happen to be but we can begin to apply some principles i'm going to throw this idea of you at you just now that a mortgage might be considered a good debt a good debt how does that sound to you
1: It sounds like an oxymoron. Can any debt really be good?
0: Let's take mortgages then specifically and consider the options. Most of us, one day, you probably want to get a place of our own to live or, or a place to raise a family. We can't really all live with our parents generation after generation squeezing more and more people and families into the same house. So getting your own place could well be a part of God's calling on your life. We're not going to talk about God's calling today. We're going to talk about the financial implications of trying to buy a house. So I reckon there are three broad options you could go down. Option number one, you could rent. Don't buy your own home at all. And and for a whole group of people, this could well be the right option. It could be for those people who just can't afford to raise enough money to buy a house. They can't get that deposit that's required to take out a mortgage. It could be those who have low incomes or incomes that aren't consistent enough. They can't demonstrate affordability of a mortgage to a mortgage lender. And the third category of people for whom renting might be the right thing, it's those who haven't yet decided where they want to settle down. Or maybe their job takes them in different places and they don't want just one place. They have to move fairly regularly. Moving house is quite expensive, so renting could be the right option. The second option then. You could just save up enough money to buy a house. Now, that's a bit crazy, but let's go through the numbers here. According to the money charity, the average price for first time buyers in the UK is currently about £227,000. This is 2022, and that's the number £227,000. The average salary in the UK is just about £31,000 right now. So the average house costs about seven and a half times. The average annual income. So if you just sat back and saved for seven and a half years and didn't spend a penny of your income on anything else, oh, actually, and I haven't thought about tax in here either, and national insurance and pension contributions, it's going to take a very long time to save up enough money to just go and buy a house in cash.
1: Sounds like I'll be saving for a lot longer.
0: So for most people, it's just not an option, which means the third option using a mortgage to buy property might well be the right option. And it might be considered good debt for three reasons. I like threes. Here we go. Reason number one, you're buying something that you need. Uh, assuming we're going down the route of, you know, it feels part of your calling, what God wants you to do. You're not buying something you just want. You need a place to live. And for whatever reason, you need your own place. So you're buying something that you need. Point two, you're actually saving money. compared to other options compared to renting a place when you rent you're paying somebody else to live in a property that they own and actually they want some reward they want some profit from you so generally over the long term it will cost you more to rent a property than it will cost you to buy it and then you're also investing in your own future if you're paying off that mortgage over many many years quite likely eventually that asset is yours and it's not costing you at least a payment anymore in terms of rent, just the upkeep. And then the third reason it might be a good debt is you're buying an asset that might, maybe likely, but they're not guaranteed to go up in value. It could therefore be a good debt.
1: So a working definition of good debt would be something that you need that saves you money and is buying an asset that goes up in value. So if we're applying that to buying a car, cars don't usually go up in value so would that then make it a bad debt
0: i reckon that's more of a maybe answer and here's why let's go through those three identifiers of a good debt and apply them to a car purchase so number one are you buying something that you need question therefore is do you need to buy a car or possibly a better question is do you need to buy that particular car Now, for some people, because of where they live, because of their job, because of their family, the alternatives to owning a car aren't viable. Public transport isn't great where you live. You can't walk or cycle everywhere you need to go. So once that decision that you need to buy a car has been made, which car is the next big issue? So I've just checked it out that the cheapest new car in the UK right now costs about £10,000 of course, you can buy secondhand cars for a lot less than that. You've got to think about reliability. Is that good stewardship as well? So if the cheapest car costs £10,000, why do some people spend £20,000, £40,000 or even more on a new car? Usually, it's because people move away from what they need in a car to what they want in a car. They want a bigger car. A faster car a more comfortable car going back to that earlier quote they want a car that shows off to the neighbors that they can afford an expensive car if you can afford these wants without going into debt you can save up enough money and, and buy the car outright without compromising on the other demands on your money then i've got much less issue with buying a car that meets your wants but if you have to go into debt to afford the the three liter version with climate control and sport then that is moving into the territory of bad debt. Question two then would be this. Does owning a car save you money? And I'm going to add in here as well, maybe owning a car helps you make money. For many people, owning a car allows them to travel to and from work. The alternatives of public transport aren't cost efficient. I mean, I live in a, a village where there is one bus once a week, which sort of comes close to the village, not ideal for me and my family.
1: But Simon, do you want to live in a village or do you need to live in a village?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right. My choice of home and where I live impacts my need for a car. And actually, in the case of my family, a need for two cars. It would be easy to say that I need a car because of where I want to live. One impact, sorry, one decision impacts the other. Now, If we go on to the third point, see if it follows through, you made this point, will a car go up in value? Almost certainly not. But that doesn't automatically make it a bad debt. I had this friend uh, just after university, he was married and he was living with his new wife in his mother-in-law's home. And he had this opportunity to buy a car or for the same money he was earning to buy a house effectively to save up a deposit on their own place. And he decided to buy a car because in his words, it's a better investment. And I thought that was crazy. Okay. Cars go down in value, they depreciate so fast. Whereas houses generally, on average over the long term, go up in value. But in his circumstances, it might have been the right decision. Having that car allowed him to get a job and progress his career and earn more money to then allow him and his wife to buy their own place in due course. If he'd bought the house first, it would have come with a whole stack of additional costs and maintenance and upkeep. He might not have managed to get that same job or earn the same wage. So for him, taking a car loan ended up being a good debt in the long run.
1: That's a really interesting point and kind of shows how nuanced the subject of debt and negative money can be. But what about all the different types of debt that are out there? Are some better than others? Are there some that we should absolutely steer clear of? And if we already have some of these debts, how should we go about getting out of them based on that principle you talked about earlier?
0: Yeah, we've still got to cover off lots of the basics of things like overdrafts and credit cards and personal loans and all the rest. What's going to happen, I think, Bex, is we're not going to squeeze that all into the next few minutes. So we'll we'll have a section two, a part two of this episode. We'll follow up on those kind of debts. But before we do wrap it up for today, I want to highlight one more key issue around debt, and that's the issue of affordability.
1: Surely we already know affordability is an issue, because if I could afford to buy a new house or a new car, then I wouldn't need the debt in the first place.
0: Yes, of course. It's the ability to afford the debt that I'm thinking about here, not to afford the thing that you're buying with the debt. To explain that, I'm going to go right back to the very basics of debt. So bear with me, listeners, if this is all like, you know, milk and water to you. In a debt arrangement, there are always two parties. There's a lender and a borrower. One of them has more money than they need so they can lend their money out. They're going to be the lender. One needs, or often just wants, more money than they actually have. They want to borrow some. There's your borrower. Now, both the lender and the borrower need to be aware of the concept of risk and reward in this arrangement. So, a few pop quiz questions for you, Bex. I'm ready. Here you go. Uh, In the mind of the lender, the person who has got more money than they need, what is the risk for that lender?
1: The risk would be that the borrower won't pay back some of the money or any of the money, or that they won't pay it back on time.
0: Yep. And that covers the main ones off. Um, So the other side of the arrangement for the lender, what is the reward for them lending out their money?
1: Assuming that they're making profit on it and it's not out of the goodness of their heart, then that reward is the interest. So the extra money that they earn by
0: lending it out. Absolutely. The interest is the cost of borrowing and that cost goes into the pocket of the lender. It's their reward for lending it out, spot on. So what about the other side of the arrangement then, again, think about risk. What is the risk of borrowing money, of being a borrower?
1: So I guess the lender could ask for the money back sooner than planned. The interest rate could go up, which would then put the cost of paying the money up. And also there's a risk that circumstances can change, which means they can't afford to pay the money back on time or maybe ever.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Lots of potential risks, quite right. And the other side, what's the reward then for the borrower?
1: So the borrower then has the ability to buy the thing that they need or possibly want right now, rather than having to save up for it or to figure out a way to do life without it.
0: Yeah. So for the borrower, and we're talking here about negative money, about being a borrower, about taking on debt, the consideration is whether the risks are worth taking to achieve the reward the having it now, the instant gratification. Now, the biggest of these risks is usually your ability to pay the money back. So imagine a mortgage. You might be borrowing money for, I mean, 25 years is typical in the UK, possibly longer than that. Now, none of us have any idea what tomorrow holds, let alone decades into the future. And so we're entering into an arrangement that comes with considerable risk over those future decades. Now, to reduce the risk, to minimize the risk, if you can keep that monthly cost, the mortgage payment, as low as possible and for as short a period as possible, it minimizes the risk that you won't be able to pay the debt off. Now, to do that, it means buying effectively, in this case, a house for as low a price as possible or saving up as big a deposit as possible. Those things reduce the risk. It's getting what you need and not necessarily just what you want in a house, which could cost you an awful lot more. Now, every day, and I find this in my job, giving people financial advice, people face financial shocks. It could be illness that means they can't work and therefore can't earn. It can be redundancy. Divorce is is a huge financial shock to all parties involved, or even the death of a loved one, a family member. If you take on too much risk, Financial risk for the things that you want rather than really things you need, this can increase the chance that you can't afford some of the payments you're making that you're committed to because of these financial shocks. And when that happens, things can start to go out of control.
1: And maybe you're listening right now and you find yourself in that kind of situation where you borrowed too much in the past or a financial shock has meant you're no longer able to afford payments. That were previously affordable and if that is you today then we would really encourage you to seek professional support we recommend both cap christians against poverty and citizens advice who both offer free debt support services and we'll put the details for both of these organizations in the show notes and so that's all we have time for this episode but there's still lots more to talk about when we pick up this conversation of negative money next time on episode 7 and simon you're going to be answering some of those outstanding questions about getting and staying out of debt aren't you
0: i am um, indeed but it might be that listeners have specific questions so if that's you you've got a topic or a question you'd like us to answer at some future point in one of our episodes then do feel free to get in touch via our email address where your treasure is at freerangepodcasting.co.uk or on instagram at where your treasure is podcast that's all for now goodbye
1: bye this podcast has been brought to you by free range podcasting let us take you where you and your podcast want to go